0: Today, ADHD coach, podcast host, and speaker, Brendan Mahan, joins us on the podcast. He explains his wall of awful, how the bricks in the wall of awful form, and the assumption of disappointment. He talks about the moral aspect of ADHD when it's really a biological challenge. He talks about the five response options for the Wall of Awful and which ones are productive and which ones really aren't, and shares how the concept of done is really about chunking. He even coaches Steph and I on some relationship communication tools when he talks about the physical, emotional, and intellectual aspects of transitions. He talks about the difficult conversations that can and will emerge from discussions about the Wall of Awful with your learner. And if you are interested in supporting the work that we do here on the podcast, please go join our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash LearnSmarterPodcast. If you join at the $10 a month level, you get episodes a week early. And if you join at the $5 a month level, you get all the extended conversations that we have had in the past with our fantastic guests. And I should say at the $10 a month level, you also get those extended conversations as well. Again, the link for that is www.patreon.com slash LearnSmarterPodcast, and that link is always in our show notes as well. Now, let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast.
1: Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 214 of Learn Smarter, the educational therapy podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we're thrilled to have Brendan Mahan on the podcast. Hi, Brendan. Hi, how are you? Good. Happy to have you here.
0: Thanks for coming on.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to have been invited.
0: So why don't we start off and you can share with our audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, how you got to do it, all the good things.
2: Sure. So my name is Brendan Mahan, like you guys have already said. I'm an ADHD coach, consultant, and speaker. I'm the host of the ADHD Essentials podcast. And I got to do it because I was a teacher, Mm
0: -hmm. basically.
2: Like I started off in education and depending on how far back you want to go, I was like a summer camp guy and a teaching assistant and all that stuff. Yep. And then I went into teaching. Mm -hmm. I bounced around when I was a teacher for two reasons. One, at the time, schools didn't have a lot of money. Mm. So a few of the schools I went through like had budget cuts and stuff and had to let people go and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And also I had undiagnosed ADHD. So I wasn't performing, particularly in my later years as an educator, I wasn't performing at the level that I should have been because I had ADHD. And also I hadn't kept a curriculum long enough. And to become better at teaching, you have to keep a curriculum and teach the same thing over and over again. And when you bounce every year or two and go to another school, You don't have the same curriculum. It's something different, even in English, which is what I taught, right? So the focus might've been more on grammar in one school or the novels are changing or more on like genres and that kind of stuff. It Mm -hmm. really shifted a lot. I was surprised by how much of a difference it made to go from one school to another. And I just wasn't a good enough teacher by the time I was in my fifth, sixth year as an educator. But people kept telling me I should be a guidance counselor Mm. because I've always been really good at connecting with kids. And when I left my last school system that I was in, I was like, all right, I'm either going to be a guidance counselor or I'm going to be an ADHD coach. Because by then I had been diagnosed with ADHD. It was part of me figuring out why I was struggling so much. I learned what an ADHD coach was, and I was trying to figure out which of those two things I would do. So I ended up getting a second master's degree. One is in education. The second one is in school counseling to be a guidance counselor. And at the same time, sort of dabbling in ADHD work. And by the time I was done, I was already making some money with the ADHD stuff and started applying to guidance counseling jobs. And eventually it became clear that people in schools didn't see how valuable an expert in ADHD would be as a guidance counselor. Yes. I had a few people who were like, why aren't you applying for special education jobs? I was like, because I'm not licensed in special education. But they saw ADHD and thought special ed. They didn't see ADHD and think, oh, this guy would bring a really interesting element and a really important element to guidance counseling. So I ended up doing the ADHD stuff instead of the guidance counseling stuff.
0: Fantastic.
1: Interesting. And so then let's bring it up to date. You came up with this analogy that is incredible. The reason actually that we found out about you is Eric on my team introduced me to your wall of awful. He said, you've got to see this. And as soon as I saw it, I said, oh, my gosh, get me him. <laughs> he needs to come on the podcast,
0: <laughs> text it to me and get me him on the podcast. So
1: that's 100 percent what happened. So here we are. Please share with us this lovely wall of awful. All
2: right, I'll start by explaining what it is and then I'll tell the story of how it came to be. OK, so the wall of awful is the emotional barrier that grows out of repeated failure that comes with. Having really any learning disability or learning challenge, in my case, it's ADHD. That's where it started. doesn't have to be ADHD. And it honestly doesn't have to be even education, right? Because it's any kind of challenge, right? The repeated failure that comes with ADHD means I grow a wall of awful. I build a wall of awful. But you can also have a wall of awful for mowing the lawn, for making friends or asking someone out on a date. So it's broader than just education, but education obviously plays a role. It's a model that helps to make the abstract concept of negative emotional associations more concrete, because I just turn those negative associations into bricks for a wall. The way it works is every time we fail, we get a little brick in our wall, right? So a failure brick. Along with that failure brick, we get a disappointment brick because we've disappointed ourselves. Here's where it gets overwhelming. We also get a disappointment brick for anyone whose opinion of us matters as it relates to that failure. So if I don't do my math homework, I'm a kid, I get a failure brick and a disappointment brick for me. I also get a disappointment brick for my math teacher, my parents, potentially a classmate. If that's the kind of homework assignment it is, it depends. Anyone whose opinion of us matters that's connected to this failure. And when we disappoint someone, We assume they're going to reject us. So we also get rejection bricks for all those people. And here's the most entertaining part. It doesn't even matter if these people know about the failure. Because if we just assume that they're going to be disappointed in us, these bricks are going to land and they're going to get anchored, right? If they can get into it quick enough and tell us it's no big deal that we made this mistake, then those bricks can get knocked out or loosened up or not land at all. But that's tricky, right? That doesn't generally happen.
1: Yeah, we're talking Tetris right now. Right. It's coming down.
2: Building itself fast and furiously, right? Mm -hmm. As we make these mistakes and fail. And if you have ADHD, you're making these mistakes and failing pretty regularly. As a guy who grew up with ADHD, like, Mm -hmm. I know, I was that kid. Mm -hmm. And there's other bricks that come in too, right? There's guilt, which is a brick. There's shame, which is a block. It's going to be bigger. The difference being guilt is I feel like I made a mistake. Shame is I feel like I am the mistake. Mm -hmm. And if I made the mistake because I have ADHD or dyslexia or autism or whatever, how do I prevent myself from having my guilt turn into shame, right? It's really hard to split that hair. One of the strategies that I use is I'd say sometimes the ADHD wins because sometimes the ADHD wins. Yeah. And it's okay. By giving myself permission to have ADHD and giving myself the self-compassion that I need to make those mistakes, I'm able to reduce some of the numbers of blocks and bricks that land and keep my wall a little bit smaller and protect myself from its growth. And I'm going to sidetrack for a second, but I want to point out a distinction between ADHD and a lot of other disabilities. And that's the moral aspect of ADHD. That's totally ridiculous and totally silly, but still there, right? Mm -hmm. This is what happens with a lot of mental health disorders, but I have asthma. If I were suddenly to start to struggle to breathe and do my inhaler or just have trouble breathing, the two of you would not be standing there going, man, I can't believe Brendan's just too lazy and unmotivated to breathe.
0: Mm.
1: How dare he?
2: Right. But if I don't email you back or I double booked this interview which I sort of did. (laughs) I told you I might have some dude coming in to check out my kitchen. (laughs) Not that I wanted that to happen. I didn't have any control over it. Yeah. But when ADHD people make typical ADHD mistakes, forgetting something, losing track of things, double booking themselves, we often say, oh, they're lazy, they're unmotivated, they don't care, that kind of stuff. (laughs) That's bringing a moral element to what is really a biological challenge. It's just in the brain and we can't see it and we don't give it the same... Respect that we give more physical ailments. So the wall of awful builds, right? We get these bricks, we get these blocks. And again, I might feel anxious about doing something, or I might be fearful of doing that task. So bricks and blocks, right? They're of different sizes, right? A nervous brick is going to be smaller than an anxiety brick, which is going to maybe be going towards block size versus a fear block that's going to be huge. Mm. In order to engage in a task, that we typically fail at, or in order to take a risk that is in an area that we typically struggle in, we have to navigate this wall of awful that we have. And that's hard, right? Because it's an emotional barrier that keeps us from engaging in that task or taking that risk. Everyone has walls of awful, not just people with ADHD, not just people with learning disabilities. Our neurotypical friends do too. They're just not as big and they typically don't have as many. So people with ADHD, people with learning disabilities are going to have bigger walls of awful that are more intimidating, and they're going to have more of them in more areas. In order to get past a wall, there's five strategies that people use. Two don't work. One works, but is not that healthy. And two work. The two that don't work are staring at it, right? It's just looking at the wall and being like, yeah, that's a, that's a wall, I guess. There's a wall. There it is, Right. <laughs> You're not engaging with it, so you're not really going to get past it. The other option that doesn't work is going around it, but you're never going to go around it. It's a metaphor and it's infinitely wide. I know because I made it up. Like You're just not going to go around it. You're going to wind up getting distracted and doing something else. The one that works but is not that healthy is to smash your way through the wall, right? Just get angry and smash into the wall.
0: Hmm.
2: That might look like Yelling at your teacher or your parents, and fine, I'll do my math. Rah, God, I hate this, right?
1: Mm -hmm. I hate you,
2: something. Mm -hmm. That's going to damage your relationship with that teacher, with that parent, with that friend. The other option is to smash inwardly, to turn that anger inward. Why do I suck? What's wrong with me? Why can't I just do whatever the thing is? So, different people are going to respond in different ways. Some are going to smash inward, some are going to smash outward, some are going to do a little bit of both. You might smash outward and then smash inward or smash inward and then smash outward. Mm. Not healthy, causing problems. So the two that work are climbing it and putting a door in it. Those are going to actually get us past the wall of awful, but they work very differently. So climbing it is really about sitting with the emotions that we're dealing with, processing them, trying to maybe come to understand them, maybe not. Come to accept them so that we can then move through those emotions and do whatever it is that we need to do. Some people might call this sitting with the dread. Like I've heard that phrase get used, right? But I like climbing the wall because it's more active. You're actually doing something, right? Mm-hmm. The tricky part is that climbing the wall looks a lot like staring at the wall. Yeah. So from the outside observer, it's hard to tell. The other option is to put a door in the wall. And that means changing our emotional state in the moment. So that might look like listening to music, going somewhere else to do your work, maybe watching a TV show and then doing your work or watching a YouTube video and then engaging with the task at hand. That looks a lot like going around it, right? When the kid's like, mom, I'm going to do my math, but first, can I watch an episode of Bob's Burgers? <laughs> and you're like, "Uh, I don't know. Right. Because one episode becomes two episodes, becomes three episodes because they have ADHD or something similar mm. and they get caught in the dopamine role and there's no obvious choice point because Hulu will just play that show correct. and correct the next one. Right. So we need to build in. Yeah, right. So we need to build in some timers or something to make the choice point more obvious. But both of those are going to help us get past it. The trick is climbing it takes forever. But we might not have that much time. Mm. putting a door in it is fast, but doesn't help us process and deal with the emotions. So we're sort of kicking the can and maybe even making the wall a little bit worse because we're not processing through those emotions. Mm -hmm. Another thing I should add while I'm thinking of it is that smashing the wall, going around the wall and staring at the wall are fight, flight, and freeze. It's just our natural stress response. I used to make house calls back five years ago or whatever. I think this is probably five, six years ago. And I was at a client's house. I can still see their house. Like I was in their kitchen with their kid and they were like, we just don't understand why he won't do his homework. And I said, it's like, there's this wall of awful between him and his homework. And I went, Oh, that's something. I don't know what that is, but that's something. And so then I started playing with it. Like, what does that mean? What was I thinking there? And so I came up with that. And then I went to a workshop with Michelle Garcia winner. She does like emotional regulation stuff. And I was talking to a woman at the table I was sitting with about this idea that I had about the wall of awful. And she was like, that's cool. But what do you do with it? Like, how do you get past it? How do you get over this wall? And I was like, Oh, that's right. I, did, I just, all I had was like, Where the bricks go, go up and it's there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I didn't yeah. have the like, now what part. So then I had to figure out the now what part. And that's the origin. I presented it. At ACO, the ADHD Coaches Organization, whenever the last conference they held was before it all merged to become CHAD, Hmm. that was like my stepping onto the ADHD national stage. There's videos on how to ADHD with Jessica McCabe. I've presented it at the International Conference on ADHD. There's a podcast episode in my podcast about it. It's sort of infused in a lot of the work that I do, so it comes up a lot my parent groups, we have a whole week where we talk about it.
0: It's there. We were talking about before we hit record that one of the beautiful byproducts of being a speaker and having a podcast is we have to figure out what we think. And that's where this beautiful stuff comes out of it because we come up with this metaphor. And sometimes we can sit with it for a while too, right? Until someone asks that next question. So thank you for sharing that. So one of the things that I have heard you talk about the importance of defining what done is. Can you talk a little bit about that? We always say, you know, we work one-on-one with learners who are struggling in school and done for us is not until the assignment is in the teacher's hands, Mm -hmm. ready to be graded, right? So we define done as well, but talk to us a little bit about that idea.
2: It's not always defined. Even when you have an assignment you're doing for a teacher, Yes, you're right. Done is when the assignment is in the teacher's hand. That's like capital D done, but that's not the only done. There are other done's in the course of doing that assignment, right? If I'm writing a book report, if that's my assignment done, I can't even write the assignment until I read the book. Mm-hmm. Right? So maybe read the book. Right.
0: Let's pretend
1: I'm being thorough. Let's pretend I'm being thorough.
2: Okay. I have to read that book, right? So my first done is not turning in the assignment. My first done might be reading the book. My first done might be picking the book or buying the book, right? And then once I have the book, my first done is probably not reading the whole book. It's probably reading chapter one or reading the first 20 pages or something like that. Or
0: reading the summary.
2: Or reading the summary, right. Once we figure out that we can define multiple DUNs, even in a grand assignment, it becomes easier to do that assignment because I don't have to take one big bite and eat the whole thing. I can take a bunch of little bites and eventually be finished. And for folks with ADHD, that's a really challenging concept because we typically want to do everything. We have a very all or nothing perspective on the world. So if you hold a 300 page book up to a kid, they're going to feel like they have to read that whole book right now. And that's full of anxiety. But if you say sticky note, the beginning of the section they have to read and the end of the section that they have to read and hold that up to them. And they're like, oh, that's really narrow. That's not really 300 pages. That's like four. I can do that. That feels more approachable. Segmenting it down is useful. And done doesn't have to even be a number of pages, right? We can define done based on time. We can say, read for 20 minutes. When you're done in 20 minutes, you're done. So it's important to understand what does done look like for this task, for this assignment, and how does that play into what it is that I need to do.
0: It's chunking.
2: Right. Yeah, it's chunking.
0: It's chunking it and making the accomplishment, whatever you chunked it down to be at that particular moment, so that they can feel we've accomplished something. Yeah. Even if it's not the capital D done of handing it to the teacher today.
2: And celebrate those smaller victories.
1: Yes. And developmentally appropriate ones, right? And also ones that might not be the same between siblings. Right. So- making sure that we're clear about that because we always say every kid's running their own race.
0: Yeah. Success looks different for different people at different times. A lot of the times, especially in earlier school and elementary school, the teachers are building this in to their big projects that they're doing. Once kids transition into middle school, something we talk about all the time, and I'm sure you see it all the time is suddenly, okay, the book report is due on this day or this project is due on this day. Turn it in on this day. Maybe they'll give steps along the way, but not necessarily always. And then they have six or seven classes that are doing kind of the same thing simultaneously, which is why learners who struggle with ADHD and or executive functioning skills, that's very much showing up for them in that transition. One of the things that you mentioned and I've heard you mentioned before is the importance of transition time. I think for... A lot of parents, the idea of letting your kid watch a show before getting started is hard. I know that personally in my relationship, in my marriage, when my husband's like, I want to just watch this show. And our audience knows this because I talk about this all the time. But he wants to watch a show. And I'm like, well, put the laundry in first so the laundry can be going. And he's like, no, I want to watch the show. And then I'll do that. It doesn't make sense to my brain. But can you talk about the importance (laughs) of... And I've learned to let it go. Over the years, I think our audience would agree that I talk about this less, but it was a big problem earlier on. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that transition time for learners?
2: Yeah, there's a lot in here. This is like a whole podcast episode all by itself.
0: Okay, let's do it. So a few
2: things, right? One, what your husband is saying is, I need help activating. Mm Mm-hmm. And if I watch this show, it's going to help me activate. And then I can go and do the laundry.
0: Are you saying me say, no, honey, go do that first is not activating him.
2: (laughs) Yes, because I'm kind of reading between the lines and assuming your husband has ADHD at the moment.
0: Who knows? All I know is that I'm an educational therapist who focuses on that. So it shows up everywhere in my life, right?
2: Reading this as an ADHD perspective, right? I'm assuming your husband needs some help activating and the TV show is going to do that. I also am assuming there's some transition stuff going on. Here's why. If transitioning is hard for me and there's other stuff I also have to do that you may or may not even know about what you're asking me to do is transition from non productivity land to productivity land back to non productivity land and then into productivity land again. Okay. Mm -hmm. What he wants to do is stay in non-productivity land, get a half an hour to transition into productivity land, and then just do productivity. Start the laundry. And then if there's other stuff, do other stuff. Other stuff that might be happening. Uh, there might be a little oppositionality in there. That might be happening. There might be a little bit of like, well, if I do it now, then she told me to do it. And I'm going <laughs> to resent the fact that she told me to do it. But if I do it later, I'm not going to feel like she told me to do it. I'm going to feel like I did it own volition and she just (laughs) reminded me to do it and that is better for our marriage yeah because i'm not going to get as resentful right it's
0: better for our marriage okay
2: (laughs) no genuinely
0: not doing the laundry. but okay i'm with you i hear what you're saying
2: my wife and i have had this conversation where i'm like if you need me to do something it sits better with me if you give me a window right if she's like can you do the dishes because of my own adhd my own anxiety I'm assuming like right now, <laughs> like you want me to do the dishes right now? Yes. And I may or may not be able to do the dishes right now. But if she says, hey, sometime before we go to bed or sometime before dinner or whatever, can you do the dishes? Now I have much more freedom in terms of when I'm going to do them. Choose. I can choose. I feel like I have some agency in this and that makes it easier for me to do the dishes without being cranky about it.
0: That's some good partner language.
2: what I do, yeah. Another element to this, and this is where I... Blow up the whole set. Transitions are not as easy as people think they are. Right. So I'm going to break transitions into nine pieces. Oh, because that's how complicated they are. I don't like this is a podcast, so I don't have a visual thing for you, but I want you to picture a grid, like a three by three grid forming nine squares. We have in one transition, we have transitioning out of whatever I'm doing right? So kind of running across the bottom, transitioning out of whatever I'm doing. Then there's a gap where I'm not really doing anything kind of, sort of. And then I'm transitioning into whatever the thing is that is next. Mm -hmm. If you want to picture a hallway, that's a good visual for this, right? I walk out of one room and then that middle gap is the hallway. I'm just in the hallway heading towards the next room. And then I transition into the next room. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. However, There's three different kinds of transitions. There are three categories, I guess, because we also have to transition physically, emotionally, and intellectually for everything that we do. And the only part of this that is visible to other people is the physical part. Mm -hmm. And typically, the only part of this that they care about is us transitioning into whatever we're transitioning into so eight of these nine boxes get ignored by the outside observer as a result we're not thinking about the other eight and we don't even realize that we have it on our own right examples of this that are not your husband you ask your kid to come to dinner while they're playing minecraft right And they fight about it. They won't disconnect, right? Because they're having trouble transitioning out of Minecraft. Or they come to dinner and they sit down and they're agitated the whole time. Because they physically transitioned out of the living room, out of Minecraft and into the dinner, right? But emotionally, they haven't put down the anxiety and tension of the Minecraft game. Or they're sitting at dinner and they're like, Minecraft, 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 Minecraft because they haven't intellectually and cognitively transitioned out of Minecraft yet. Transitions are way more complicated than we think.
0: I love thinking about things with the framework. So this is really helpful. Mm -hmm. What can we do as the parent or the partner to help with the emotional and intellectual transition that also needs to happen throughout life through task switching and every activity?
2: One, just knowing that it's this complicated will help people. Right. Just having this new perspective and recognizing that the physical transition is the least important, but the only one we pay attention to. So instead, going, All right, how do I help my kid?
1: I mean, you can see it.
2: If my kid is playing Minecraft and they're all agitated, I can tell when they de escalate. And I might need to help them de escalate. I might need to help do some like coaching or some conversation or some something like here's a hot beverage to help them do the next thing. I can do that part. When we talk about kids who struggle to transition, invariably it's emotional and intellectual that they're struggling to transition with. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: It's usually not physical because physical is so easy. But sometimes we think it's physical, right? Like we don't really recognize, oh, it's because they're having trouble putting down that previous thing or they're having trouble getting into the next thing because that's what the wall of awful is, right? The wall of awful is this barrier that prevents you from transitioning into. The task at hand. You might have managed to disconnect from Minecraft, but you still can't do your math homework. You're still having trouble getting back into math or getting into math. And Minecraft is right there waiting for you. It's easy to circle back and transition back into Minecraft, even though you got out of it for a minute. So we have to pay attention to where does my kid need help with this transition? Do they need help putting Minecraft down because that's something that's really engaging for them? Or do they need help getting into math homework because that's something that's really challenging for them? Or is it both? Am I having trouble getting out of Minecraft and also getting into math? And if that's the case, probably we shouldn't be playing Minecraft right before we do math homework.
1: Mm -hmm. Let's say we're going with a scenario of I need to watch that show or I need to play Minecraft before I can do this thing. Mm -hmm. But we know that it's very hard to then transition and that's not really going to work. Mm -hmm. What do we do?
2: I would throw something in between Minecraft and homework. Ah, okay. That is kind of engaging, but easier to disconnect from, or that can blend into homework, right? So like, yeah, you can play Minecraft for half an hour. And after that half an hour, we're going to have a snack. And it's, I don't know, goldfish crackers and apples, because you love goldfish crackers and humor me on apples or something. And so the goldfish crackers are like, The thing that is kind of as good as Minecraft, not really, but close enough. And it's a different kind of experience, right? Instead of the look at the screen, it's like the crunch and the tactileness of eating and the more physical version of something. And then you can eat the snack while you do homework. It's easy to disconnect from a snack and move into something else. That kind of thing. I would plug something in between those two activities,
1: right? Jump it out. That's my favorite. Could be, or we're going to go for a walk
2: or whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Go walk the dog. Mm -hmm.
1: I want to point something out
2: about the wall of awful that I didn't mention earlier. And that is that the wall of awful is really a trauma model. It's just instead of like I witnessed a murder or I was assaulted or something like that, it's trauma by a million little cuts, just a million little failures over and over again that combine to whittle us down. It's real and it's true. Oftentimes it's emotionally abusive, but it's self-inflicted, right? Because the stuff that we say to ourselves, I suck, I'm the worst. Why can't I just do this? What's wrong with me? All that stuff. If you heard someone else saying to you, you suck, you're the worst. Why can't you do anything right? Like That's abuse, right? But when we do it to ourselves, it's somehow not, even though it is. And it has similar effects on the brain that emotional abuse is going to have. It's just self-inflicted. I just want to make sure that I point that out also as it relates to, if there's some trauma hiding inside of this wall, if you talk to your kids about it, something might come up that you're not prepared for. So just be aware that that could happen so that you are more prepared than you might otherwise be.
0: Mm.
2: Cause the wall of awful is also a communication tool. You can call up those youtube videos by jessica mccabe and how to adhd where she interviewed me Mm -hmm. you can call those videos up and watch them with your kids and now you have a common language to talk about something that's really hard to talk about it's difficult to talk about like negative emotional associations like what does that mean but bricks in your wall is easier to talk about and if your kid looks like they're not doing anything you can go over to them and say hey, you look like you're having trouble starting. Are you climbing your wall? Are you climbing the wall of awful? And then they can say, yeah. And you can say, cool, what's going on? How come? And they can talk about it, right? And probably they're going to say, I just math is really hard and I'm struggling. And so I can't seem to do this. Probably that's what's going to be said. But you could also hear something like, well, I have to work with this kid who's been bullying me since third grade. And you're like, what do you mean? You've been getting bullied since third grade. And now Mm -hmm. I wasn't planning on that happening. So when we make it easier and safer to talk about emotions, sometimes stuff that we don't anticipate having to talk about becomes a topic of conversation. And that's a good thing because it's unearthing stuff that's hard, but it's also a really challenging thing for parents because it's unearthing stuff that's hard.
0: So, Brendan, before we sign off of the episode and transition into our conversation on Patreon, we would love to know how our audience could connect with you.
2: Yeah. My website is ADHDessentials.com. So www.adhdessentials.com. And the podcast is the same name, ADHD Essentials, on everywhere you get your podcast. And if they want to contact me directly, they can email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com, B-R-E-N-D-A-N at ADHD, E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S.com.
0: We are putting all that information in our show notes. So we're going to continue our conversation on Patreon about how educational therapists and learning specialists can use the ideas that we've talked about today, the wall of awful, the idea of transition time, in their one-on-one work with clients. So if you're not yet a member of our Patreon community, that's www.patreon.com slash LearnSmarterPodcast, and we'll see you over there in a minute. But for now, Brendan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been an honor to be here.
0: Oh, thank you. And will you please do our signature sign off?
2: (laughs) Have a great week, Smarties.
0: (laughs) Have a great week. Have a great week.